This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Thank you, worship team. Awesome as always. Don't even need to tell you to take a seat. Well done. It's working. Who felt uncomfortable walking through that door to see this set up today? And are you, sat, are you sat next to people? No, they're not. There's a few nods, my dear. There's a few nods, there's a few nods. Do you know how uncomfortable I am with this? <laughs> you know, but anyway, we'll get into that. Thanks, worship team. Absolutely amazing, as we say. Um, right, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Hope Church. And welcome to the room and to internet. Hi, my name's Steve. So today... It's the 20th of November, 2022. It's a Sunday. And for those watching on the internet, as you see, I'm dressed in my hairdo. It will come back in fashion when you're watching this in about 30 years' time. Okay? Just thought I'd put that out there. So, this is episode 97 of the Promise and Purpose series. Thanks. I like this shirt. Okay. Thank you. That's my wife, by the way. That's good. She's allowed to say that. So this is, this is episode 97 of the Promise and Purpose series, and we're going to continue our very slow meander through the book of Luke. Um, today, we're going to focus on chapter 14 and verses 12 to 24, and the parable of the great banquet. Focus, accept, serve. Who knew about the shared lunch today that we're going to have after this? And by the way, I stand between you and lunch not the place you need to be. Who knew the mayor was going to have a banquet here last night, hence this setup? Who knew the message was the great banquet? Someone's listening. God knew. If you don't need anything else, we just have to look sometimes and believe. This is not us doing this. God's definitely in this, which is just, just absolutely amazing. And Lydia last week was talking about the wedding feast. At the back and near the door, you are important, okay, and loved. Because in a wedding feast, they put the dodgy guests at the back. <laughs> okay, that's not the case now, all right? You're loved and you're not dodgy. Right, anyway, today, another parable. I don't know what I've done, Mark. Why do you give me parables? <laughs> you know, in Luke, te- Luke 8, verse 10, Jesus explains the purpose of a parable to his disciples. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, and that's the disciples. But others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. In other words, a story that people can relate to. Parables, simple and straightforward? I think not. But they are a great example, Criddy, 
of the living word because they can be interpreted differently by everybody, even if you've heard and read them before. And they are thought-provoking, challenging, life-changing, everything Jesus intended. There are so many different commentaries and opinions associated with today's scripture. I will be drawing conclusions from the time I've spent studying the different commentaries. And you'll either agree with me or you won't. And that's good. Because I've not got all the answers. I hope today will be a learning opportunity and a springboard for further study and debate as it, has, as it has been for me in preparing this. So let us pray. Lord, thank you for your love, grace and mercy, and for our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word, his teaching, and I pray that my words are your words and that we will all hear what you are saying to each and every one of us today. And as we leave this place and turn off the device, change, we go away changed and challenged to become more like Jesus. Amen. Okay, digging into scripture, Luke 14, verses 12 to 24, taken from the ESV. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who were reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. There are so many connotations to that, aren't there? I can't read that without smiling every time. Every, every time. Sorry. It's not good, is it? So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and the servant said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Where do we start? So, come some context. We need to put this into context. Jesus is still on the journey to Jerusalem. A journey that started way back in Luke 9, verses 51, verse 51, and concludes in Luke 19, verse 41, with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Two weeks ago, Sue started to lead us through Luke chapter 14, 
Jesus was invited to a ruler of the Pharisees' house for a Sabbath dinner, where he was surrounded and tested by the Pharisees and socially prominent guests, who were all experts in the law, about healing on the Sabbath, which he did. And that was Luke 14, verses 1 to 6. That's episode 95, if you want to go and have a look at it online. Awesome, Sue. At the same meal, Jesus then told the parable of the wedding feast, which Lydia covered last week. And that's episode 96, about humility. Go and have a look online there. That's verses 7 to 14. But just as a reminder, and I love this from C.S. Lewis, and I've shamelessly nicked it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. I think we might need to remind ourselves of that quite a lot. (laughs) I certainly do anyway. So I've split today's uh, message into four parts. Part one, which is verses 12 to 14, change your focus. Part two, verse 15, the awkward moment. Part three, which is verses 16 to 23, the banquet. Accept the invitation and serve. And part four, which is verse 24, wake up. So, part one, verses 12 to 14. Focus, people. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Okay, so Jesus is talking directly to the host here, the ruler of the Pharisees. I guess also understanding that others around the table could hear the conversation. Back then, it was all about status, your social standing, and being associated with those that were of worth to you. So, on top of all that Jesus had said and done during the meal up until this point, he now proceeds to tell the host not to invite, mix with people only because they can repay you. But you are also to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, the outcasts, without expecting anything in return. Jesus was rebuking what he was experiencing and the culture that was prevalent at the time amongst those he was dining with. This was a real, real reversal of the natural order. He was reminding the host to stop thinking about what's in it for him and instead focus on what God wants. And that was to live with a servant heart, with love, grace, patience, generosity, and humility. Just inviting those of useful social standing has its own reward or blessing. But the focus is all wrong. The focus on giving freely and expect nothing in return. That's where we should be focused. In doing this, Jesus was affirming an ancient Hebrew proverb, which his Pharisee hosts and other guests should have known. Maybe they only remembered what they wanted to. So Proverbs 22.9 tells us, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. It's quite clear, isn't it? I don't think the Pharisees were listening to that one. Through this message, Jesus was redefining the social norms and reminding them of the truth. Give value to the poor, lame and sick, not as people to avoid, 
but as people to invite to the same banquet table as you, serving their needs and not expecting anything in return. And by doing this, you would find true blessing in this world and the next. Can you imagine how the host must have been feeling right now? In my mind, he was probably thinking, does he not know who I am? Who is he he talking to? And questioning why he'd actually invited Jesus in the first place and probably making a mental note, I'm not doing that again. But you can imagine the emotion here. You know, Jesus has been persistent to this point, teaching. You're not right. You're not doing things right, Pharisees. And he's still having to try and get the message across. So what's the lesson for us today? As Christians, we should not be doing anything out of selfish want. And we should not be living in a happy huddle as the Pharisees. We're not sat as a happy huddle today either, are we? And I was saying in the prayer meeting before, you know, it's all very easy to have a named pew as you would in the old churches and we come through that door and we just find our happy space. Now and again, we just need to be shook up a little bit and I think it's all shook us up where we are here and this is what Jesus was doing here. Jesus is not telling us not to be around the wealthy, family, friends, but he is telling us to make sure our motivation is right. He is telling us to get out of our comfort zones and reach out to the poor and the outcast. And the list given of the blind and the crippled is not an exhaustive list. You'll get that. You really will. Again, there's no personal expectation of any gain from this. It's about growing the kingdom. Our focus should be on becoming more Christ-like. It should be about living with a servant heart full of love and compassion. When our focus is upon God, and his will in any given situation, then we will be truly blessed in this world and the next. So part two, verse 15, the awkward bit. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread. Now to eat bread is is a well-known Hebrew phrase for sharing a type of meal. Um, And it carries on in in the kingdom. Jesus was in full teaching, rebuking mode at this point. He had been for the whole meal, one would argue, but he's certainly right there now. Could you imagine? So there's lots of murmuring as what what they've just heard. Elbow bashing. Who talks next? It's one of those awkward moments. Should should we say something? Should someone say something? What's happening here? One of the guests plucks up the courage and speaks up. Now, different commentaries suggest different motives behind the guest by the behind the guest statement. And this is one I really had to try and reason through. And I've got to be honest, I haven't got the answer. But I'm going to give you some ideas of what the commentaries were saying. And we can try and come out with what, what, what this was about here. So maybe the guest, he wanted to diminish the force of the rebukes implied in the previous lessons by the use of a bland general remark. Or... Was he trying to calm the atmosphere by saying something that he thought was non-provocative? <laughs> what a mistake. <laughs> Perhaps he was displaying an element of self-congratulation in that he thought he would be eating bread in the kingdom because he was a Jew and his status. Was he stating that? And this is where it gets very technical, of course it does. Um, the kingdom of God here does not signify the kingdom of heaven in the highest sense but only the kingdom of the Messiah, the messianic banquet. 
there's a whole sermon and messages associated with that, and we're not going there. This thinking was based upon a received sense of his nation as a glorious temporal kingdom in which the Jews should lord it over the Gentile world, enjoying their wealth and provided with a temporal blessing and delight in which they place their happiness. So this was quite a Jewish thought. Um, or was he assuming that he would be one of those who would sit at the heavenly feast, the kingdom of heaven in the highest sense, which should initiate, which should initiate the new era, and from which, like all Jews, he held it to be almost inconceivable that any circumcised son of Abraham should not be excluded. Right, that came from five different commentaries. And there are more out there. Okay, so, so what did I conclude from this exercise? The meaning behind the guest statement remains up for further study. <laughs> it does. And not just me, people. <laughs> not just me. However, the commentaries predominantly suggest that he didn't want to provoke Jesus. And he was convinced that by default, because he was a Pharisee, that he would be eating bread at the kingdom of God. However, it was evenly split when it came to the meaning of kingdom of God, either highest or temporal. If the latter, which is the messianic, how ironic, because they're actually sitting eating dinner with Jesus. Awesome. <laughs> Unbelievable. The guest had either completely ignored or misunderstood Jesus' teaching to this point. His statement, though, underpinned Jesus' assertion that the Pharisees' focus and motivation was all wrong. Jesus needed another way to get the message across, so he deployed the parable bomb. <laughs> okay, part three, verse 16 to 24, and the great banquet. Jesus responds to the guest, and I am sure to the rest of the people in the room who are listening intently by this point. At no point are we told this was a rowdy situation, but we're not told lots here. There's, there's, we'll get into that in a bit, but there's a whole lot of, not of details here which leaves it very much open to interpretation. You have noticed that Jesus makes no explicit mention of God himself, Israel, Jew, or Gentile. This has led to so many different interpretations of the passage. I've tried to bring them together and offer an understanding. We're going to go through the parable statement by statement to try to get a feeling of what Jesus was teaching to those at the meal and to us today. So number one, Jesus sets the scene in verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. The man is... Hey, I haven't sent you to sleep. Awesome. <laughs> is the man is God. And the great banquet? Heaven, his kingdom. And that metaphor, which was eat bread, uh, that had been suggested by the guest who triggered this response. Okay. The reference to many invited can be interpreted, interpreted, I can't even say that, to be indicative of the breadth and depth of God's love. John 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. If it, was not, if it were not so, would I have told you to go? Would I have told you that I go to prepare? I never get this right. You can read it. <laughs> Always trip over that one. There are many rooms. It's a big, big place. 
Okay, point two. Servant and invited guests. Verse 17. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Who is the servant? This is not only Jesus, but it is us Christians. Once we have been saved by grace, we become the servant. We become ministers, which is petrifying. But it's the truth we do. We are given the great commission to become fishers of men and to urge and lead people to the banquet, the kingdom of God. And from Matthew 4, verse 19, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The man sends out his servant to tell the guest that dinner is served. Why did he have to send out his servant? Well, I'm going to hope you, I'm really hoping you're not going to be surprised that back in Jesus' day, Wi-Fi wasn't available and that social media was not even a concept. Dare I suggest you had to speak to people. How did they survive? <laughs> Much more simple time. There's a Star Wars um, quote there, a more elegant era. So please indulge me, a lesson in historical etiquette. If a banquet or high-status uh, event was to be held, the host would send out the servants early to invite those that were fortunate enough to have made the guest list. The servant delivered the initial invitation, something like my master's throwing a banquet in, say, two weeks' time, and you'll be summoned when it's ready. The guests were expected to respond immediately so planning and preparations could take place. How crazy. The guests didn't even know exactly when the meal was happening. They just knew it was a couple of weeks' time. When the banquet was ready, the servants were sent out to summon the invited guests. It was not cricket to make up an excuse not to attend because you'd said you were going. The invited guests here in an art, an illustration of the Jewish nation, the kingdom was prepared for them. But when Jesus the servant king came preaching that the kingdom of heaven is near, and that's Matthew 4 verse 17, he was rejected. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And that's John 1 verse 11. So, part three. Excuses. And that's verses 18 to 20. And I am still going to laugh at the wife one. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go out to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. And I therefore kind of, why are you laughing about it? <laughs> oh, it means so many things, doesn't it? It really does. And there are many commentaries that pull that one apart, I can assure you. Um, it was not etiquette to make up an excuse not to attend something that I'd already been committed to. This was a great insult to the host and would have had a, a detrimental impact upon your own social mobility at that time. Not good either way, remembering the culture. The three excuses given are all pretty poor, to say the least. But I reckon we can all relate to them. 
I certainly can. Work, oxen. I cannot come because of work. I cannot come because family, I'm married. I cannot come because of possessions, land. A logical interpretation of what Jesus was referring to here is that the Jews of Jesus' day had no valid excuse for rejecting Jesus' message. In fact, they had every reason to accept him as their Messiah because of Scripture and who Jesus was and everything he was doing. He was in plain sight, but they still rejected him. Back to John 1 verse 11. Let's be honest. Do we sometimes neglect what God is calling us to do in his kingdom because of excuses? My work is so busy, I can't possibly. My family need me too. Sorry, I'm just washing my car. (laughs) Thank Michelle for that one. (laughs) It's not that these things aren't important. It's good to honour God in our work and in our family life and also with possessions that he has given us. But it is only when we put our service to the kingdom first, our relationship with God first, that we will see true blessing. Okay, part four. Poor and crippled and blind and lame. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Firstly, the master was rightfully angry at rejection because of all of the time, cost and effort he'd put in to bringing the banquet together. It's hard to be rejected. It's hard for God to be rejected. In order not to waste anything, he sends his servants out onto the streets and lanes of the city to bring society's outcasts to the banquet. You will note there's no explicit mention of Jews here, and there's much debate about meaning, hurrah. But, however, understanding the concept of the context of where Jesus is and who he's talking to, it is appropriate to surmise that this relates to the Jews and their misguided attitude towards society's outcasts. The fact that the invitation is opened up is extremely important. These were the types of people that the Pharisees condemned or considered and condemned and considered unclean and under God's curse. John 9 verses 1 and 2. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was blind, that he was born blind? Yet in this incident, Jesus says that it is not because of sin, but to bring glory to God and heals the man, turning the Pharisees' preconceptions upside down. Jesus teaches that the kingdom was and is available even to those considered unclean. Go and have a read through Acts 10 if you want a feel for that. Jesus is an example to us all. And his involvement with the tax collectors and sinners brought condemnation from the Pharisees. Yet it showed the extent of God's grace 
And that's Matthew 9, verses 10 and 11. And as Jesus reclined at the table, another dinner in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because he's demonstrating grace. This was yet another reversal of the actual culture of the Pharisees and a clear message to them then and us today that God's kingdom is open to all who accept Jesus, accept the invitation. Okay, moving on to highways and hedges, verse 22 and 23. And the servant said, Sir, what you command has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Again, lots of debate around this statement. There are those who say Jesus is making reference to the the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's kingdom. This is based upon the reference to the highways and hedges, which is interpreted to be outside the city walls, outside Israel. There are those that believe this is illustrating that God's love love reaches everyone within Israel, within the boundaries of Israel, beyond the labelled outcasts. And there are others who interpret this as Jesus saying God's love and invitation to the kingdom reaches everyone, both Jew and Gentile. Jesus does not give detail here, so all of the above can be considered valid. For me, God is loving, merciful, patient, patient and graceful so the invitation to all appears reasonable in that those originally invited Israel those in the streets and lanes the outcast Jews and now the others the Gentiles are invited amazing we're invited Amazing, isn't it? What do you know? No matter our circumstances, where we have been or what we have done, we are invited through grace and the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Absolutely unbelievable. Now, important point here, the word compel. This really struck me, and I have to say this. It's an important note here that compel them to come in. Compel does not mean coerce. Unfortunately and sadly through history, it has been and is today being used that way. The Crusades is an example. So what it is, it's not about... It doesn't mean using violence to convert all doesn't mean by any means possible so what we're saying here that when people take compel to the use of force that's completely opposite in the nature of God God is merciful loving patient and graceful if we want to look at that look at the parable of the fig tree because that really for me gives a good 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 image of God's character but what we're not saying here is you do this by any means necessary. It's, and I think there's a, and I'm going to actually read this straight out. It was from Barnes Notes on the Bible, which was a great commentary I enjoyed. Compel them. That is, urge them, 
Press them earnestly, one and all. Do not hear their excuses on account of their poverty or low rank of life, but urge them so as to overcome their objections and lead them to the feast. It's about urging. It's about earnestness. It's about being us. This expresses the earnestness of the man, God, in his will that his table should be filled and his purpose is not rejected. And his purpose not to reject any on account of their poverty or ignorance or want or clothing, where they come from. So God is earnest in regard to the most polluted and vile. God's got an eye on us all. He cares for us all. He commands his servants, his ministers, us Christians, to urge them, those that haven't given their lives back yet, and press them on to the salvation of the gospel. It's quite a calling. And just finishing this part off here, that my house be filled. This is an illustration of the boundless measure of God's love compassion, grace, and generosity in that he has a house with many rooms as we looked at earlier and he wants to see it filled as many as possible saved from all walks of life and all dispositions. None of us are the same in this room and we've all got a story to tell and we've all got a chair at this table. It's amazing. Right, finally, part four, wake up. It's nearly lunch. It's nearly, I got you, Howard. It's nearly lunch. So verse 24, For I tell you, none of these men, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You will note that Jesus uses I and my here to try to highlight again that he is the way. Jesus has now finished telling the story, the parable's done, and he's being very clear about not changing attitudes and behaviours. This was a very direct message. Decide. Just because you are Jew, you are not automatically going to attend the banquet. You have to accept the invitation and turn up. It's not just accepting it. We've got to get down and dirty. We are the servants. It's not by status or works, but by accepting me, Jesus, standing in front of you right now as the Messiah and by focusing outwardly with a servant heart and not inwardly. What a way to make an exit. Jesus drops the mic and leaves the building. We know this because, spoiler for next week, verse 25, he's back with the crowds. <laughs> There's nothing else recorded, but what a way to end that meal. This is a clear wake-up call to us all today that being seen to be good and religious and of high standing and status is not enough and that the choice is ours to accept the invitation and turn up. Not turning up has consequences. It would be easy, wouldn't it, for us who call ourselves Christians to read this warning and think, doesn't apply to me. After all, I've accepted the invitation, right? Yeah? Such thinking sort of misses the point of this parable. We still need to prayerfully ponder questions like, 
Who am I in this parable? What is now required of me to live more in line with God's kingdom? In summary, it's nearly lunch. So much to unpack here and so much more to study. I've only wave-ridden what's out there. So number one, focus on the right things. Do nothing for self. Our focus and motivation should be on Jesus and a servant heart. Number two, accept the invitation. We have a choice. Have we accepted the invitation to the great banquet and turned up? Through Jesus we are saved, not because we deserve it or have earned it, but by the grace. It's by grace that we were there. And we are called to serve with love and compassion. And then finally, number three, serve. The challenges to those who have turned up. Do we see the needs of the poor and the needy and the destitute, the outcast? Do we take time to come alongside them and show them the compassion and love of Jesus, showing them the way to the great banquet? Or are we more interested in self? Being seen with the right people, having the right image before others, rather than the inward integrity and love that Jesus calls us to.